Galatians 5, 2 through 12. So if you would stand and we'll read that together, and then I'll bring Jeff up and I'll pray for him and we'll hear him proclaim God's word. So Galatians 5, 2 through 12. Paul, inspired by the Spirit, says this. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. You were running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. I have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. But if I, brother, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. It will end there. Um, Jeff, Jeff will explain what he's talking about. So let me pray the word of the Lord. Thank you, Father, for your goodness in revealing yourself to us, for reaching down, for coming down, and extending love, extending salvation when we had gone astray, and, and now when we so often go astray, and when we um, turn from grace back to, to works. And Lord, I'm thankful for what you're doing in our body. I'm thankful for how you are sustaining our faith um, during this season. And, and I'm just looking forward to you growing it, Lord, and for us just being able to say down the road what you did and, and how you, you changed us um, during this time. And Lord, we just come before your word, and I just pray that you would give us humility as we hear from you through your servant Jeff, that you would just um, use him, bless him, um, give him joy as he proclaims. Thank you for your word, for the, the, the hope of the gospel there, the Christ in there. Well, good morning. Uh, I have a confession to make that may make me seem like a bad dad. Or maybe a great dad, if you like. Uh, I don't let my kids win. Right. <laughs> Card games, board games, races on land, races in water, wrestling in the living room. I almost never let my kids win. It, it genuinely seems disingenuous to let them win. If they're going to beat me at something, then they're really going to have to be. Uh, we do a fair amount of swimming in the summer, and just about every time we're in the pool, at least one of them will want to race, and I mean, I'm no Michael Phelps or Katie Ledecky, but I'm a, I'm a pretty good swimmer. Uh, so if they're going to beat me, then they're going to have to swim the race of their lives or get a really big head start. And, you know, not all of our kids have learned the art of swimming in a straight line. Right? So, even though it's not always intentional on their part, at least one of them will, you know, often like swim into me during the race. 
or if I've given them a head start, they're like cut in front of me, right? And it takes extra effort on my part to not let them win when I have to pause, let them go, and then zoom around them and still, and still win. So, it's never cool when someone cuts in front of you in a race, right? It's never cool. You, you guys know this. Um, in our passage this morning, this is similar. Not exactly. We're not talking about swimming races in a pool. But this is really similar to what Paul is addressing with the Galatians. You see, Paul had brought the good news of Jesus to the Galatians. They, they heard it proclaimed from Paul that only Jesus saves. Jesus, the, the promised Messiah, had lived a perfect life on earth, always doing what pleased the Father. And he died the death that they deserved for their rebellion against God in their place. And then he showed his power over death in the resurrection, and he ascended to the right hand of the Father in heaven. So if they stopped, the good news was that if they stopped trying to earn their way to God, earn a right standing to God, and instead trusted in Christ and what he accomplished, they could be brought into a right relationship with God, with the God of the universe. And many of the Galatians believed in us. And they were running well. Running was a, a, a race, running a race was a Paul's analogy for the Christian life. But then these false teachers came along, claiming to be, you know, that really to be right with God, you need to believe in Jesus and follow the Old Testament law. Specifically, they taught that the Galatians needed to be circumcised to truly be saved. The Galatians were running well, but these false teachers, these Judaizers, were trying to cut in on them, cut in front of them, and, and get in their way. And Paul writes to warn the Galatians. Don't buy it. Don't let them cut in on you. You can't have it both ways. Faith in Christ is how they had first experienced salvation. And how God intended to sustain their salvation. Faith in Christ had worked. But they were in danger of believing a different gospel. And that danger isn't only something that Galatians um, had to deal with then. That danger is real for us today. Faith in Christ works. We don't have to add anything else to it. And that's the main point of the sermon this morning. Right? Faith in Christ works. I have three main points. You know, it works. It's, it's effective. It's sufficient. Um, it stands strong against critics and false teaching. And it gets to work. Right? So first, faith in Christ works because it's sufficient for salvation. Paul starts with a strong warning here in our passage in verse 2, looking in at that with me. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. Christ will be of no advantage, no benefit if you accept circumcision. This is not a small thing, right? This, this whole circumcision debate, it's, it's not a mere difference of opinion like some churches differ on the who and the how of baptism or how to handle the gifts of the Spirit, or the order of end-time events. No, I mean, you can stand on different sides of those issues and still be standing with your true brothers and sisters in Christ. But this issue of circumcision, Paul writes, it, it's not like that. This is a departure from the very gospel itself. But why, right? Why is it such a big deal? I mean, it's... How could, if you can confirm this with Dr. Seth or Dr. Anna, in the scope of all possible surgical procedures, it's a relatively minor one, right? How could that interfere in their spiritual life? Well, for Paul, 
Paul, it, it wasn't the act of circumcision itself. It was the motivation behind it. In verse 2, when Paul writes, if you accept circumcision, he has in mind more than the act himself. What he means is, if you accept and receive circumcision as the thing that makes you right with God, then Christ is no benefit to you. If you believe faith in the person and work of Christ is not enough, it's insufficient to rescue you from sin and accept that you need to add some of your own work to it, like circumcision, then there's really nothing Jesus can do for you. Listen to the way that he warns the Galatian Christians in verses 3 and 4. I testify again that every man who accepts circumcision, that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who will be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. It's like he's saying, look, just so you're aware, if this is what you want to believe, this is, this is what it's going to be like, right? This is what it's going to look like. It's not just circumcision. In verse 3 he says, you have to keep the whole law. He says, I testify again. And, and again, likely harkens back to what he wrote in chapter 3, verse 10, where he says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse, as it is written. Curses everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. The Galatians are going to submit to circumcision as part of the means of salvation. They were placing themselves under the obligation to keep the whole law, under all of them. And no one was able to do that. It's either law or grace. He goes on in verse 4. You are severed from Christ. You're alienated, cut off. Christ and law are at odds. Grace and working to earn your standing before God are at odds. You can't acknowledge your inability to save yourself and trust in Christ and then go on to claim, actually, I can't save myself. And I'll show it by being circumcised. I mean, hopefully you catch Paul's play on words here, right? And warning them against submitting to circumcision for salvation, he says they'll be cut off from Christ. They go through with it. He says, You've fallen away from grace. This is a strong one. But we have to be careful not to read into this something Paul's not actually saying, because he's not saying that the Galatians have lost their salvation. Right? This is a, a warning. He's not even saying that they will lose their salvation if they adhere to circumcision. And I, I, want, to, I want to choose my words carefully here, right? Given the context here in Galatians, and even in just that verse itself, Paul is saying that if you are trying to be justified, if you're trying to be counted righteous by the works of the law, then you are totally out of the realm of grace. You're not even in the same zip code as grace anymore. Not even on the same continent. I mean, you remember in the very beginning of Paul's letter to Galatians how he prayed for God's grace and peace for them. And that same grace and peace that were there to save them, he's saying, are the same grace and peace that God uses to sustain you every day of your life. So if you move away from grace to start trying to obey the law, you'd be showing that you never knew that grace to begin with. We may wonder, I mean, if God, if God really is so committed to His people that He is going to keep us saved who are truly His, then why such strong warnings all throughout Scripture? 
Because the warnings are the very things, the very means God uses to keep us trusting in Christ alone. To keep to guard us from drifting into error. So our passage starts with some serious warnings. And then Paul turns in verse 5 to describe the glorious reality in the future for those who put their faith in Christ alone for salvation. Look again at that verse. Galatians 5, 5. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Through the Spirit, we eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. Righteousness is in being made right with God. Or a right standing before God. But isn't righteousness fully ours today if we are trusting in Christ for salvation? Yes. We are declared not guilty and are credited with a perfect obedience that's not our own. That declaration is true of us who are in Christ today. It is certain. But the reality is, we don't see it. We trust that it's true. Like by faith, we hold on to that. We believe it to be true. But we don't always see it to be true in our everyday lives because we still sin. At least I do. I guess you do too. Your neighbor, your family member may think that you're really great, but they don't see it either. But one day, one day, Jesus will return and will shed these bodies of death that have been corrupted by sin and will be made new in resurrection like our Lord. That's the hope of righteousness, that one day what God has pronounced as true of us today will be fully visible to us and to the world. One day, God will set all things right. He says, we wait for the hope of righteousness. And everywhere in Paul's writings where you see that word wait, it's in the context of the last days, the day of Christ. Listen to how he writes about it in Philippians chapter 3. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. We don't work for it. We don't strive and toil anxiously for the hope of one day being declared righteous before God and before the world. We eagerly wait and long for that day, and it helps us to make sense of how we're to live in these days. Faith in Christ, it works. You don't have to... You don't need to add anything to what Christ has already accomplished on your behalf. And so the application for this point is identify the false gospels in your life. Identify the false gospels in your life. I'm guessing that no one here this morning, or maybe who's watching online or will listen to this later, no, none of us in here are tempted to trust in circumcision for salvation, right? Paul was addressing a specific people in a specific time, with a particular heritage. But are there ways that, that we try to add something to what Christ already accomplished? You know? Ways in which we believe a false gospel that really centers around what we can achieve on our own? I think so. Um, 
J.D. Greer identifies these four false gospels that I think are, are helpful. We're just going to look at these. And, and, and as we kind of consider them, I want you to think, like, which, which one, which ones are you most tempted to believe? The first one is, we believe a false gospel whenever we make something else besides faith in Christ necessary for salvation. Now, this could look like baptism. And look like certain gifts of the Spirit. But whenever we make the gospel Jesus plus anything else, right? And you spill in that blank. It's a false gospel. Two, we believe a false gospel whenever we assume that it doesn't matter what you believe so long as you are a sincere, loving, and good person. It's almost the same as saying, like, you know, to believe in Jesus, you just, you need to act like him, right? You need to, you know, be a good and loving person. But God doesn't save good people because no one is truly good, right? He saves sinners. I hear this most often at funerals. And it breaks my heart, right? Someone who, to my knowledge, Christ has never been on the radar in your life, but we say great things about them and talk about how they're in a better place now, and I, I just I cringe. We, three, we believe a false gospel whenever we try to grow ourselves spiritually through self-effort. Now, this is another way of saying, Jesus saved me by his grace, but the rest is up to me. Fancy Bible words like justification, that's his work, sanctification, that's all on me. And we may not say that outright, but we live like that, don't we? God saved us to live a rich life marked by his abiding presence, a moment by moment reliance on the Spirit, on God the Spirit to help us walk in love, joy, peace. Patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. This is the fruit of the Spirit that's coming up later in Galatians 5. But we go on our own. Like, I, I just, I need, to, I need to pray more. I need to read the Bible more. I just need to try harder. Does that sound familiar? Fourth, we believe the false gospel whenever we think we can produce spiritual change in other people. Sometimes churches reinforce this when they emphasize conforming to a set of rules and behaviors as the mark of a true Christian. You know, eat this, don't drink that. Listen to this, don't watch that. Vote for this, don't vote for that. For the parents in the room, this might look like enforcing a set of rules because if we can just set the right boundaries, our kids will turn out the way we want them. That's a false gospel. We must identify the false gospels that we're prone to believe and then repent, turn away from those, and trust the true gospel. Faith in Christ, it works. So this is the application here for everyone this morning. Whether you, like this is your fifth time ever in a Sunday gathering and you would call yourself a follower of Jesus to this point, or whether like you have been following Jesus for decades. Know the false gospels that you're prone to believe and repent and trust the true gospel. Okay, second point. 
Faith in Christ works because it stands strong against critics and false teaching. Jump ahead with me to Galatians 5, verses 7 through 9. You are running well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion is not from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. Paul covers a lot of ground in these three short verses. I mean, he starts with this race language that, again, it's common in his writing. He envisions the Christian life as a race, you know, where Christ has saved us from the deadly course of the world and its vain pursuits and has set us now in the remainder of this life on a kingdom course where, where God is both the aim of the finish line and the race itself. God is both the end and the means. We, we run toward the day when we'll be with Him forever in glory and we do it with His strength and His energy and because of His faithfulness. He tells them, you, you're running well. Who got in your way? Like, who cut in on you? And then He reminds them of their calling in Christ to show them that like, this, this teaching, this is not from God. And then He switches analogies from running, race, to baking. Right? I don't know if any of you are bread makers. In our house, Angela makes the cakes. Amen. Yes, amen. Um, but I like to make biscuits and cinnamon rolls. Uh, and earlier this summer, I started making pizza dough to make homemade pizza on the grill. And I'm telling you, you guys got to try it. Right. It's, it's the best way to have pizza dough. Yeast, baking soda, baking powder are common leavening agents in, in bread recipes. And, and when you're making the bread, like you don't have to put a lot of it in the recipe. Usually just a, tea, a, a teaspoon or two. But that little bit of yeast, it ends up doing its work, not just in one part of the dough, but in the whole lump of dough, causing the whole lump to grow. Be vigilant, Paul tells the Galatians. A little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough. A little bit of false teaching, unchecked, can spread through the whole lump, through a whole body, individually and corporately. It's disastrous. Keep close watch over your life and over your convictions. Listen, walking away from the true gospel, like it, it doesn't happen out of the blue. It doesn't happen overnight. It starts with small departures. Small compromises. What you think about, what you believe, it matters. Knowing and staying faithful to the truths of God revealed in the scriptures, it matters. Test everything against the scriptures. But Paul is confident that the Galatians will not hold on to this false teaching about circumcision, no matter how persuasive the false teachers are. But notice how he describes his confidence in verse 10. Have confidence in the Lord that you will take no other view, and the one who is troubling you will bear the penalty, whoever he is. It was the Lord who called them. It's also the Lord who will sustain them. God is trustworthy. He's faithful. We're to hold on to that same hope that Paul had for the Galatians. Friends, faith in Christ works because the Christ in whom we put our faith is eternally trustworthy and steadfast. Paul is confident in the Lord. The Galatians will hold fast, but he's also confident that these false teachers will be judged in the end. They'll bear the penalty. I mean, you can see how worked up he is. I'm confident the one who's troubling you will bear the penalty. Leading others astray is 
deadly business. You can hear how exasperated he is by the time he gets to verse 12. You know, he wishes that these false teachers wouldn't just stop the circumcision, they would go all the way. Another translation reads, Tell those who are disturbing you, I would like to see the knife slip. This is crude, to be sure, but sometimes strong language is warranted when there's so much at stake. Because of the disastrous effects of this kind of false teaching that the false teaching could have on the Galatians, Paul used some really strong language. Alright, look, look at verse 11. It says, But if I, brothers, still preach circumcision, why am I still being persecuted? In that case, the offense of the cross has been removed. So apparently Paul was being accused of speaking out of both sides of his mouth. Like sometimes he advocated for circumcision, and then sometimes he advocated against it. The Judaizers had likely heard of how Paul had wanted Timothy to be circumcised when Timothy was about to join Paul on one of his missionary journeys. So you can read about this in the first uh, section of Acts 16. But Timothy was a young believer. His mother was Jewish. His father was Greek. Um, he was well regarded by the believers in, in that area, and so Paul wanted him to come along with him in his missionary work. But, but in deference to the Jews in that area, he arranged for Timothy to be circumcised before their departure. So listen, Paul and Timothy weren't viewing Timothy's circumcision as necessary for salvation, but as helpful for the mission. And that, that's a huge difference. Like it's a difference between life and death. Listen to what he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, starting in verse 19. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant of all, that I might win more. To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessings. For freedom, Christ has set us free. And it allows us, for the sake of the mission, to show deference to people sometimes. Paul wasn't preaching circumcision when he advocated for Timothy's circumcision. He hadn't been preaching it. And him preaching circumcision and law-keeping as a requirement for salvation to the Galatians or to any of the other churches. I mean, if he had been preaching that same message as the Judaizers, then, like, why are they persecuting him? That's the point. Like, he wasn't preaching that message. To preach circumcision, Paul says, is to remove the offense of the cross. What is the offense of the cross? The offense of the cross is that no can save themselves. No amount of human effort or work is enough. Not circumcision, not law-keeping, not perfect Sunday attendance, not giving away your money, not serving the poor. The cross is offensive to human achievement. It's an affront to our pride. At the cross, we come face-to-face -face with our inability to save ourselves. And that's, it's not a popular message. 
It wasn't popular then, and it's not popular now. And it leads to all manner of objections. Objections to the truth of the gospel will come from within and come from without. From within, from false teachers who try to work their way into the church like yeast, spreading their deadly teaching. From without, from those who who hold to, to no belief in God at all, who, who with a barrage of scientific explanations and, and philosophical reasoning try to persuade the world that every type of religious belief system, especially Christianity, is really just a man-made crutch for the weak. Christian, we have no need to fear the latest and the loudest arguments against the existence of God or the latest perversion of the gospel being spread on so-called Christian television or cable TV news. Why? Because faith in Christ, it works. The gospel of grace alone, through faith alone, stands the test of time and stands strong against all worldly philosophies and false teachings. It doesn't mean that we ignore false teaching and the world's objections, objections to faith in God. But we're not thrown off course by them. We can engage them and those who espouse them with confident assurance. So, Christian, hold fast the true gospel. Don't let anyone cut in on you. Let the world see faith at work in you. Faith in Christ works because it stands strong against critics and false teaching. Listen to Jude 3. Beloved, although I was eager to write you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write, appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. This true gospel, once for all delivered to the saints, it's not going to change. It's not, God's not going to be caught off guard by some new development. So it's going to have to change the message. Once for all delivered to the saints. So the application for this point is Run the race and stay the course. Run the race and stay the course. The Christian life is more like a marathon than a sprint. At some point in your Christian life, you'll deal with attacks from within or from without. Don't let anyone cut in on you and steer you off course. I mean, know, know the things that, um, know the objections that might come from without or within. Objections to the gospel and to biblical truth. Objections to the existence of God. We don't need to fear that. We, can, we should know them and be conversant in them. So we can dialogue with them. But also, we need to know the true gospel so well that we easily recognize the counterfeit. Last point. Faith in Christ begins to work. Look with me again in verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. The word for at the beginning of verse 6, it serves as the link between the previous verse and verse 6. It means that what Paul says in verse 5 serves as the basis for what he says in verse 6, right? So, Verse 5, through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. And because we're waiting for that hope of righteousness, we're not working for it, we're not trying to earn it. 
neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything. Like I mentioned earlier, salvation by faith alone, it's an affront to our pride. This is is what Paul's trying to say here. You can be proud in your circumcision. Like, look how far I'm willing to go to be saved, to be made right with God. And you'd be wrong. But you can also be proud in your uncircumcision. Like, look at me. I know I don't have to be circumcised to be made right in right standing with God. Those Judaizers, they still get it like I do. Let me, let me pat myself on the back for my just incredible spiritual insight and discernment. And you'd be wrong as well. So you can fall victim to pride, both in what you do, like being circumcised, and in what you don't do, like not being circumcised. Neither one, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision, mean anything. But faith, working through love, it means everything. The only thing that counts, the only thing that matters is faith in Christ, working through love. Which to me sounds a lot like the great commandment. Love God, love your neighbor. Remember this from Matthew 22. It starts in verse 34. This lawyer comes to Jesus and says, Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? He's trying to trap Jesus. And Jesus looks at him and says, This is the greatest commandment. To love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind. And the second greatest is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two depend all the law and prophets. Tom Schreiner in his commentary on Galatians writes, Living by faith is not animated by opposition to circumcision. Whether one is circumcised or uncircumcised remains insignificant. What matters is the genuine faith that expresses itself in love. We as Christians need to lament how we have become more known for what we're against than what we're for in Christ. Imagine the scene with me if Galatians 5 were happening in the present day in Colombia, right? Instead of first century Galatians. Alright? On one side of the Providence Broadway intersection are the Judaizers holding up their oh yes on circumcision signs. On the other side, we've got the Galatians holding up their sign with a big red X over the word circumcision. Because that's how we get our point across. We highlight what we don't like. What we don't agree with. Listen, there is a real tension here. Alright? We want to stand firm in our freedom in Christ. Stand firm in opposition to false teaching. But it seems like Paul is saying, if we're more known for our opposition to all the things, instead of faith working itself out in the love of neighbor, then we've got it wrong. Let this sink in. This false teaching about the necessity of circumcision, it was a big deal. Eternity was at stake for the Galatians. If they succumbed to these false teachers, then they would be forfeiting the true gospel. They would be cut off from Christ. 
Paul was worked up about it. We've seen that so much that he, he penned this letter to the Galatians. So much that he wished the knife to slip. Right? But listen. Like, we, we live in a day where like, we have to embrace the nuance. Right? Catch the nuance here. He was worked up about it. But he didn't let it blind him to what truly mattered. Opposition to circumcision, it wasn't the goal for Paul. It was faith, true faith in Christ working through love. Faith in Christ being expressed in our love of God and love for neighbor. God help us hear and receive and walk in these truths today in the 21st century. I don't know that we need any more social media posts decrying critical race theory or abortion or the LGBTQ agenda. Well, God commands us for us to hold firmly biblical convictions, convictions which absolutely addresses social issues, but to hold firmly as we walk toward the world in love, not rail against it. Moving toward both those who happen to agree with us and especially toward those who don't. It doesn't mean turning a blind eye to false gospels or untruths in the world or, or just remain silent. But it also doesn't mean allowing ourselves to be blinded and consumed by our opposition to those things. Faith in Christ, like it can't be left in the realm of um, the abstract, like it's, it's, it's not just a... a, a made up of mental affirmations about God, it has to work its way down into our hearts and out through our hands and our feet. Faith in Christ works, not to earn our salvation, but because we've already been graciously loved and rescued by God. So the application for this point is pretty simple. And close with this. Put faith to work. Put your faith to work. Or to say it another way, Get to work loving people. Be known for, let's be known for the way that we love people. The way that we value them and show dignity. I mean, instead of railing against all of the hot button issues of our day, what if Christians were known for their compassion? One of the consequences in society of being the loudest and the most vocal about what we're against and what we don't agree with is that it creates barriers between us and the whole groups of people. And what's even worse is that when it's done by people who claim to be Christians, it puts barriers between whole groups of people and God. Now hear me very clearly. God is sovereign and he will overcome all obstacles when he calls someone to salvation. But let's not be part of making it harder for people to hear and believe that he really is the good God that he is. You can take a strong stand against abortion. Hear me. I think scripture is clear that all life matters and is valuable from, concept, from conception and abortion is wrong. But if you're going to take a strong stance on abortion, you absolutely 
also better come alongside the young, scared, expectant mother who feels alone and isolated, unsure of, of what to do, who doesn't have the resources or the family support to care for a newborn. As a Christian, you're to move forward toward that expectant mother in love. The only thing that counts is faith working itself out in love. So you demonstrate love to her with your time and maybe even with your money, right? Your resources. The kind of love that we're to show to the world is the same kind of love that the Father has shown to us. And it was costly. It was sacrificial love. And you rejoice when, with her when that baby is born and you stick around and you get other people involved and you love her like family. When that young, scared, expectant mother chooses to have the abortion, you don't write her off, Christian. You grieve, you lament, and you continue to walk toward her in love because, listen, you know that no one was ever saved by being pro-life and no one was ever saved by being pro-choice. And both of you are in the same need for the grace and mercy of Jesus. Amen. That's how we get to work loving people. That's how Galatians 5, 6 gets lived out in our lives. I mean, the same is true for a whole host of things. That abortion is just one of those things that like, the world knows where it gets to, right? But listen, no one was ever made right with God by their views on critical race theory. No one was ever made right with God by their voting record. No one was ever made right with God by their sexuality. Strong biblical convictions that honor God are always, always rooted in love for those created in His image. Cars, let's, let's put faith to work. Let's get to work loving the city, showing how good God is, how great His grace is, and the freedom that he offers in Christ. Pray with me. God, we need your help. Thank you that you haven't left us to ourselves. Father, forgive us for being so caught up in, in things that we don't agree with and things that we're against and neglecting faith working through love. Help us, Lord. Holy Spirit, would you, even in these moments, bring, like, bring to our attention the false gospels that we're prone to, to believe and give us grace to repent and trust the true gospel, to trust in Jesus. Empower us, Holy Spirit, to, to walk out our faith in the everyday stuff of life, in love, to real people around us. God, may, may this church family be known in Colombia, in the world, as a people of compassion. Not, not so that we can pat ourselves on the back, so that you get the glory that your fame might be spread and known in more and more people and more and more homes in this neighborhood.
God, do it for your name's sake. We love you and we pray in Jesus' name.